you. Amen. Please be seated. Husbands and wives, or if you are married or have ever been married, let me ask you to envision a uh, scenario. Your spouse comes to you and they uh, look at you and they say, I command you. And right before they can even finish that sentence, you say, excuse me. (laughs) I know that if I uh, went to my wife um, before I left for work in the morning and I said, this is my uh, commandment for you today to uh, clean the house, have all the dishes done, everything dusted, vacuumed, have all the uh, kids' toys put away before I get back from work. She would give me one of these looks um, that she does. You know that look, honey? It goes something like this. (laughs) See, commandments, we associate commandments with uh, dictators and kings and uh, authoritarian leaders. And uh, there are, of course, abuses of commandments. But there's also a general disdain of the idea of commandments or rules in uh, modern Western culture because we value so highly individual freedom and autonomy. And so we think that commandments and rules, they're just restrictive and repressive. Uh, now, this is actually why a lot of people reject the Bible, because they say, oh, there's so many 600-something laws in the Old Testament, and there's so many commandments and rules. God's always bossing people around. Now, why would I want to follow something like that? I just want to be free. And if God was good and loving, wouldn't he just want me to be completely free? I want to argue today that we need commandments to be free and joyful and productive. We need commandments to be free and joyful and productive. Uh, We're going to look at John chapter 15 that we just heard in the gospel procession. If you want to follow along in a Bible or in your uh, bulletin. By the way, uh, I I love when people bring Bibles to church. I'm old school like that. So if you want to start bringing a Bible to church and you just never have because you're like, ah, Episcopalians, we don't really uh, bring Bibles and carry them around with us. Start bringing your Bible to church. It it is awesome. You can dig into the text right with your own, you know, fun leather bound Bible. So I encourage that. But anyway, if you don't have a Bible today, follow along in your bulletin. That's fine. Um, The passage begins like this. First, let me say what's going on here. Um, This is kind of a farewell speech. It's like the beginning of a farewell speech. Jesus knows that he's getting ready to go um, to his death. And so he's got his guys together and he's talking to them um, mostly about what their lives need to look like um, after he goes. Okay. And um, he says this, it starts like this, as the father has loved me, so I, I have loved you. And they're leaning in and they're just, yeah, yeah. He says, abide in my love. And they're just loving this. They're leaning in and there's, this sounds nice, you know. And we're thinking, this sounds great. I love this love talk, Jesus. And then uh, Jesus goes on and he says, if you keep my commandments, why? whoa, 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 whoa commandments what we were just talking about love and just live and let live and love and let love and it was sounding so nice and jesus now you're bringing up commandments come on jesus aren't you the liberator aren't you the one who sets us free isn't this commandment stuff it's like old testament aren't we past that now jesus commandments this you sound like a dictator when you say you got to obey my commandments you see, that's a, that's a Western cultural view of, of commands and laws, right? Because our view of freedom is that the less rules and restrictions, the better off we are, right? Because restrictions stifle our freedom, 
right? That's what we believe in Western culture. Restrictions stifle our freedom. So to heck with commands and laws and all that. Just let me be free. But now there is a problem with this logic. There is a problem with this. Because if we aren't restricted in some ways we run into a conflict of interest. Let me give you an example to tell you what I mean about a conflict of interest. Um, I really like, you know, Belgian beer. It's just fancy schmancy stuff. It's so good. It's so tasty. And so a part of me would like to be free to drink Belgian beer all day long, every day. But I also would like to be free, on the other hand, to be a responsible father and husband and priest. And so there's a conflict of interest because... If I can't get through my day without stumbling and slurring my words because I'm all hopped up on Belgian beer, I can't be a responsible father and husband and priest. And also my liver's going to explode eventually. So I, I have a conflict of interest, right? You see, we talk about freedom as if it's just this one grand thing. Actually, we all have a lot of freedoms. We all have a lot of freedoms and we have to choose which ones are more important to us. Right. And when we find out which ones are more important to us, we have to stick with those and we have to abandon the other ones so that we can stick with the ones that are more important to us. You see, it's impossible for anybody to be completely free in that sense to do whatever they want. If you want to eat cheeseburgers and cake every single day for every meal and you want to live for a long time, you have a conflict of interest. You have to choose which is more important for you and abandon the other ones. Now, why is this important for what Jesus is saying about obeying his commandments. Because Jesus' commandments, they are just the restrictions we need to make us more, not less free. Jesus' commandments are the restrictions that we need to make us more, not less free. You see, people think they're free in the world, right? People say, I'm free. I'm not tied down to anybody or to anyone. I'm no one's servant. I got no obligations to nobody. I just do as I want, right? You see, that's not a free person. If you say stuff like that, you betray the fact that your self-centeredness has actually consumed you. You are controlled by your selfishness. And in reality, to live that way is actually to be very, very lonely, Because we were created to give ourselves, our lives away to other people and to share them with other people. But this is going to be tough to hear. This is going to be offensive and it's offensive to me, but it's true. There's a little bit of that in all of us. There's a little bit of that. I want to live how I want to live. I don't want really anybody getting in my way and I want to do what I want to do. And it's why Jesus's command to forget about our own lives for the sake of others is so hard to hear. It is really hard to hear. Now, why can Jesus say things like this? Why can Jesus say things like this? Well, let's look at, first of all, let's look and see kind of how he builds this out before we ask that question. He he goes on and he says, "Uh, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You say, he's saying, guys, don't freak out about the command. Don't be freaked out about the commandments. I'm actually giving you commandments so that your joy will be full, so that you will be who you were created to be, right? And so they're leaning in and they're listening. They're like, okay, what's he going to say next? What's the commandment? And then he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And I think, oh yeah, that's kind of nice. I could do that, right? But uh, Jesus, wait a minute. What do you mean by as I have loved you? And then, um, unfortunately for them and for us, he goes on to tell them what he means by that. He says, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
Oh, could you hear the awkward silence in the room with the disciples and the crickets are chirping? That's all you can hear. And they're thinking, oh, brother, here he goes on for <laughs> He's saying, did he just say that we actually have to be willing to lose our own life to lay it down for other people? Yeah, he did, right? Jesus, this is crazy. Why can he say things like this? What gives him the right? Because he did it. Because he did it. You see, he laid down his life for us. Jesus is a God who demands everything. He demands everything, but not like a distant, aloof, cold dictator who stands at a distance and barks commands at people. He himself came into our midst and lived in our human flesh, experienced our emotions and our pain and our suffering so that our offenses against him could be wiped out. You see, the one thing that we can't say to the God of the Bible about his commandments is what gives you the right. That's the one thing that we can't say. Because rather than punish us or wipe us out or get rid of us or forget about us, he took a path of humility to restore us to relationship with himself. That's the gospel. He gave his own life in exchange for ours. Just weeks ago, um, you may have read about this in the news. There was a French uh, policeman. There's a fancier French word for it. I can't remember what it is. Um, but his name was Arnaud Beltram, and there was a hostage situation, and there was an ISIS terrorist in a marketplace who had some hostages, and this policeman uh, was able to talk to him, and he said, if you give up this woman um, that you have held hostage, I will hand myself over to you. And um, the, hostage, the, uh, the terrorist agreed to that, and he went in, and the woman came out, and the man was shot to death. You see, he gave his life so that someone else could live. And the news, rightly so, has been praising the uh, courage and bravery and selflessness of this man. You see, we respect a guy like that. We see the awesomeness of that. That's what Jesus did for you and for me personally. He handed himself over to be inflicted with evil and with pain and with death so that we could be made free. Wow. And, while, as St. Paul tells us, while we were still sinners, he did that while we were still sinners, not after we got all cleaned up and got impressive for him. He did it while we were still sinners. Not um, after we started looking for him. He did that for us when we were not looking for him, when we had no interest in serving him and we did not care who he was or what he had to say. He did that. He laid down his life for you and for me. Uh, during communion today, we're going to sing a, a wonderful song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And there's a, there's a verse in it that is very powerful. It goes like this. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. You think someone who loved you like that would ever command you to do something harmful or oppressive to yourself? See, this is how the gospel makes us able to do of our possible to lay down our lives for others. Because when what Jesus did gets a hold of our hearts, the only meaningful response is, how can I do that for others? How can I live for others? There's more. Jesus goes on. 
He says this, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if I do what I command, if you do what I command you. Friends. Friends. Now, what in the Bible, um, friend, friendship was an intimate thing. Only Moses and uh, Abraham in the Old Testament were called friends of God, right? They had a special, um, unique, intimate relationship with God. He would visit them and, and they would experience his glory and then he would share his plans and his, his, uh, his commandments for his people with them and send them back out. They had this intimacy that not everybody enjoyed, Right? Um, another thing, when Jesus is thinking about friends in his day and age, he's probably thinking about um, the, the concept of friends in the ancient world, uh, which was kings and emperors had a small uh, group of friends that were called friends. And these were the closest people who were the closest to the king. They could come into his bedchamber first thing in the morning just to spend time with them, to talk to him, to advise him. He would speak with these people before he even went to his military generals and statesmen to talk about the day and the plans for war or whatever. Uh, these were the closest people. They could go into his bedchamber in the evening and spend time with him. And that is what Jesus is telling us we have with God. Here's what this means. The God who makes that rain fall right now, the God who created rain clouds, the God who created the octopus and the aardvark and the ocean and the eyeball and the eardrum, the creator God says, you can come into my presence, my chamber in the morning and I'll make you a cup of coffee and we can talk about your day and we can talk about my plans and how I want you to be a part of them. That's amazing intimacy, but that's what Jesus died to make possible. Now, moving on, uh, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You see, there's a responsibility, a great responsibility that comes along with the intimate friendship that we are invited to with God, and that is to be a part of what he is doing in the world. Jesus says, I appointed you to bear fruit. I'm not calling you guys into this just to sit around and drink wine and have fun. I'm calling you into this because you're going to join me in what I am about in this world. Now, what does it mean to bear fruit? To bear fruit um, means to possess the divine life. It means to know God's freedom, his forgiveness, to have his joy, his power, and his peace flowing through you and to share it with others. To share it with others. That is what God is calling us to be a part of when he calls us to be friends. This whole passage from John chapter 15 has been about this. It's really a passage about mission, about Jesus. Uh, It's kind of, like I said, a manifesto for his disciples to know how they are to live in the world, which is in a very active stance, uh, seeking to bring other people to Jesus. And it tells us, the whole passage tells us how to stay close to him. And uh, what he says, how to abide in him is what he calls it, and to be about what he's about in the world. So I entitled this sermon, I'm trying to make titles for my sermons because it's kind of fun, but it's kind of hard too. So I entitled this sermon, Friends Don't Let Friends Wither Away. And if you read all of John 15, you'll know what I mean by this. Because Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you don't abide in me, you won't have life in you. Right? You will not be able to bear fruit because branches can't bear fruit if they're not abiding in the vine. You see, Jesus doesn't want us growing cold in our faith. He does not want us growing cold in our relationship with God. He doesn't want distance between us. Friends don't have distance between them. And he knew, he knew the unfortunate and tragic reality that many of his followers 
would allow their own lifestyles, their own uh, negligence of prayer, their own complacency to get in the way of their relationship with him. He knew that that was going to be a reality. And it's precisely why he gives these commands. He gives these commands to us to live in a certain way because he knows that we'll be free and joyful only when we have certain restrictions on our selfishness. That's why he calls us to love others as he loves us, to give our lives away for the sake of others because only then we'll actually have real free, real freedom and real joy. And so he sums up all of the commandments with this. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's not an overturning of all the other commandments in the Bible. And it's, he's not just saying just be nice to people and forget about everything else. What he's actually saying is that this is the one thing that must drive all of the other things that we do. All of the other ways in which we are obedient to the Lord. Maybe um, you're in a strained relationship with someone right now. Maybe you've been doing your job without any love for the people that you work with. Uh, Maybe you've been serving God like a robot without any real love in your heart towards him. Uh, For me right now, it's the need to serve my family uh, with real love. Because honestly, sometimes I get in robot mode with two young children and I'm just changing diapers and doing dishes and putting toys away because it's what needs to be done and I'm doing it begrudgingly just because I have to. And when I operate that way, I'm not free. I don't have joy because I'm not living by Jesus' commandment. So here's a challenge. Here's a challenge. For this week, find one opportunity. Take, and you need to talk to God about this <laughs> because we'll pick the wrong thing, but God will, well, God will share with you and point out to you and bring to mind the thing. But choose one thing that's a part of your everyday life or a part of your everyday week And start to do it with love. Start to do it with a love that says, I don't want to gain anything from this. I just want to do it to give myself to this or to these people because Jesus gave himself for me. God promises that it will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. You will be alive because his life will be flowing in you and the produce will show. The produce will show. This is uh, precisely how the early church expanded so rapidly. If you look at the statistics, um, uh, you will be, your mind will be blown at how many Christians were made exponentially in the first hundred years of the church. And this is the reason why. You see, when people in their ancient Roman world, which this was perfectly legal, if you didn't want your infant, you could just discard them on a trash heap. You know who went out after those infants and took them in and gave their lives away to raise for people for the next 18 years or so? The followers of Jesus. You know, when people who were kicked out of their homes because of poverty and didn't have anywhere to go and didn't have a meal to eat, you know who took them in and took them into their home and gave them a place to live and made them a part of a community and fed them? Christians, the followers of Jesus. You know, when people in the ancient world, when plagues would break out, people would scatter to different cities where air was clean. You know who would stay beside, behind and bind up the wounds of the sick and the dying at the risk of their own lives? The followers of Jesus. Because they knew his command to love one another as I have loved you. And they knew his promise that it would bear fruit. And they saw it bear fruit because their communities began to expand and expand and expand. And it began to grow across the whole ancient Greco-Roman world.
at a rapid pace. That's what the self-giving love of God embodied in the local community does. It bears fruit. Later in life, um, John, who wrote this gospel, we think he's probably the John who wrote the other John that we heard from that that Mr. Chul read so nicely for us today um, up in the lectern. Um, That's the first letter of John, not to be confused with the gospel. Um, The gospel of John was written first, um, and it is a narrative of Jesus's life. And what scholars think is that the first letter of John was written later, and it's kind of like a commentary um, on the gospel of John. But so later in life, Jesus has died and risen and gone back to be with the Father. And John, he becomes an elder, a pastor of a community. And he's growing old, and he's seen it all. He's seen the divisions in the church, the fights, and the the neglect of prayer lives and everything. And he's seen all the lack of love, and he's constantly calling uh, people to do that. He's seen the consequences over all the years of people not following this one simple command of Jesus. And so... He can say this to us because he's seen how when people do follow his commandments, their hearts are set free. And so he says this uh, in the reading that we just heard today. His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. You'll, this is what he's saying. When you know Jesus as intimately as I do, you'll conquer everything that hinders you from loving like he loved. And you'll realize that his commandments are not burdens. No, in fact, they'll burst your chains and set you free. When you and I recognize the freedom and the joy that comes from obeying his commands, we will find the joy and freedom and kingdom-expanding productivity, fruit-bearing, that our Father desires us to have. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that um, in our faith we don't ask how do we get rid of uh, every possible rule and restriction, but you have us ask how do we find the right ones that help us to flourish and be who we were made to be. And we thank you that you've given us those commands because they are a treasure that shows us the way of life. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to each heart in this room right now about um, whatever it is that is going on in these hearts, whether it's um, a long-time lack of love for you and for others, for family or friends or coworkers, and that uh, you would move in us to and restore in us, Lord, with your mercy, the ability to bring our brokenness to you and to know that you heal and that you redeem and you embrace us and you send us back out with that fresh command on our hearts. Love one another as I have loved you. All this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.